Hey, my name is Chris. I'm really excited to be here. How many of you have ever um, done any kind of like public speaking before? Yeah? Uh, how many of you enjoy it? How many of you are like terrified of it? <laughs> terrified. Most people, uh, that's probably one of the uh, top, top, you know, most fearful, dramatic, stressful uh, things you can do in life. And that's the same for me as well. Um, and so uh, one of the things that um, most public speaking classes uh, get you to do when you're public speaking is try to puncture some of the uh, anxiety, some of the stress in the room and try to get some energy in the room. And so we had this great music set, but I'm sort of looking at you right now and you're looking at me like, Chris, what do you got for us tonight? And so here's what I need you to do. I need you to turn to the person sitting next to you and uh, answer this question. If you were to get married tomorrow, if you were to get married tomorrow, right, um, where would you go for a honeymoon? Uh, no, ex- all expense paid kind of thing, all right? So if you were to get married tomorrow, and obviously there's someone to your left and to your right, so go ahead and answer that with each other. That'll puncture some of the energy in the room there. All right, that's good. That's good. I feel good now. I feel good. We are in a good place. Why don't you just shout out some of the places you would have gone for? Bora Bora. Che- Cherokee County? Did someone say Cherokee County? <laughs> awesome. Haiti? Okay. Fiji, the Dominican Republic. Anybody would anybody want to go to maybe just Disney? Disney would be a nice place. Yeah, Disney. All right. What what did you say back here? You want to stay at the castle at Disney? Hey, all expense paid. We'll go for it. We'll we'll set you up. In fact, I think uh, uh, Brad and and the rest of the living room team said if you can make it to uh, every living room uh, this semester, they're going to pay for your honeymoon. Is that right? They're going to pay for your honeymoon whenever that might be. I'm kidding. Folks, uh, again, my name is Chris Kim. I'm really excited to be here. And let me start with this. I love to travel. I absolutely love traveling. I love long trips. I love short trips. I love trips uh, for the weekend or all week. I love road trips. I, this sounds like a Dr. Seuss kind of like, right? I love road trips. I love uh, flying. I really do love flying on airplanes. I love, uh, I, I even just love walking around airports. Airports are a very unique sort of ecosystem in and of itself. You could be in Podunk, USA, but when you step into Podunk, USA, the airport in Podunk, USA, it's a totally different thing. Because you see people who are about to travel to and from all distant corners of the world. That's why I love being in airports. I love being surrounded by people who are traveling, who are going. And there's all these different stories that people have to why they've come to that place, where they're going, where they're headed, for what reason. And when I travel, I meet people. Obviously, you meet people. Whether it's at the airport or they're seated right next to me on the uh, airplane, I meet people, and uh, it's usually people that you'll never meet again in your life, right? So I take that opportunity to strike up a conversation with them, and uh, you know, one of the first things that uh, comes up is like, hey, what's your name? Uh, who are you? What do you do? And in response to that question, I usually try to come up with something unique, unique, uh, I was flying to uh, D.C. a couple of months ago. My parents live up in D.C. That's where my family is. And so I was striking up this one conversation with this woman. And we're like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do? And I was like, hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I work, I, and I told her, I work for a politician. Uh, you know, and she's like, oh, okay, do you work on Capitol Hill? Are you, are you a lobbyist? What do you do? And, that, and that's how, you, you know, if you're going to start this story, you can't like just come out and be like, you know, you know I, I'm, the, I'm the governor of Georgia or anything like that. You have to sort of ease into your your lie here, right? And so, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I work for some politicians. Oh, what do you, you know, da, da, da. 
well, you know, I'm President Barack Obama's primary speechwriter. She's like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's what I do. And he actually has a press conference up there in a couple of days, and so I'm coming up to help him write uh, his speech. And she's like, oh, wow. She starts asking all these questions. And you know, I can usually try to answer some of those questions, but at some point it's like, I'm just joking with you, lady. She's like, huh? What do you, what do you really do then? Well, I work for a church. Wait, you're a pastor? You just lied to me. What do you... Right? Who are you? You know, who are you? Um, I remember uh, one of my favorite things to say is, um, you know, hey, who, who, uh, my name is Chris. What do you do? What do you do? Oh, I'm a recreational architect. Oh, really? Recreational? That sounds fascinating. What is that? Well, yeah, you ever ridden the uh, Batman or the Superman roller coaster at Six Flags over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I designed it, you know? <laughs> like, wow, that's awesome. I'm a recreational architect. That's I design roller coasters. You know, invite me to your wedding, whatever it is, right? So, um, <laughs> So that, but their, their response usually after, I don't really want to come off and tell them like, hey, I'm a pastor, because that usually sets them off and like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, and then they try to put on this other, but eventually I'll tell them, I, you know, I do a little teaching, a little writing, a little counseling, and they're like, are you a pastor? I'm like, yeah, and you're like, you just lied to me. You're like the worst pastor in the world. I know, I know, I am the worst pastor in the world. And then they'll be like, who are you? Who are you? And that is the question I want to try to answer for us today. Who are you? That's the question I want to speak in today. Here at the living room, we are going through a series where we're trying to explore some of life's big questions. Last week, Brad talked about who is God, you know, and in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about some other big life questions. But today, we're going to look at the question, who are you? Who are you? And as soon as I ask that question, you're probably already starting to come up with your response, who you are. Right? But the thing is, you can ask that question in so many different ways. Who are you? I can ask it like I'm your psychologist, you know, that I'm sitting across from you on a sofa, and I can you know, pipe, in my, pipe in my mouth and be like, who are you? you know, tell me. What is your identity? Who, tell me about yourself. Who is this person behind the mask? Who are you? I can ask it that way. I can also ask it uh, as if you're surprised by this person. Who are you? Who are you? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I met, not a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, I met with this couple uh, who attends uh, one of our North Point churches, and they were getting married. They're an engaged couple. They were looking for someone to officiate their wedding. So they reached out to me. I said, I'd love to uh, connect with you guys to see, hear your story a little bit. So I'm meeting with them, seeing if I'm going to officiate their wedding or not. And uh, I meet them at Panera, and I've never met them before, but I meet them at Panera Bread, just sort of hear a little bit about their story. And as soon as I walk into Panera, they're like, Chris? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I come over there, and the guy is a pretty big guy, and I can tell he's got a real strong athletic build there. And as we're chatting here a little bit, um, I see all these people walking by us, and they keep staring at this guy. And I finally say to the guy, man, who are you? who are you? And it turns out he is a WWE professional wrestler. I, I was like, I would love to do your wedding, man. Yeah. You know, kind of. And it was cool because I actually did their wedding this past week and there were some other wrestlers there and it was just, it was a, it was a pretty neat experience. I literally was like the smallest person at the wedding. I was like, here comes the bride. Yeah. And over here. You. Okay. Anyway. But you can ask it that way. Who, who are you? Right? You can also ask it um, uh, in the way of like, who do you think you are? Who, who, who 
are you? Who do you think you are? You're, you know, you're driving down the road and you see that guy or that girl trying to weave into the lane and it's just like long line in the lane and you're like bumper to bumper with the car in front. Who do you think you are? You can ask it, who are you? Kind of thing, right? So there's lots of different ways you can ask that question. Who are you? But that also means there's lots of different ways you can answer that question too. Here's what I know about most of us. We try to answer that question one of two ways. For example, most of us will answer that question, who are you or uh, who am I? We'll try to respond to it by uh, our behavior, by what we do. Who are you? You'll usually start off by saying what you do. Most of us believe that your identity is determined by your behavior. Most of you believe that your identity is determined by your behavior. For example, if you were to ask me when I was one year old, and I could talk when I was one year old, who are you? I would have said I was, uh, I was a baby, right? I would have told you, who, who are you, one-year-old Chris? I'm a baby. I act like a baby. I do baby things. I am a baby. If you were to ask me when I was 14, Chris, who are you? I would have told you that I'm an athlete. That was the part in my time in my life where I was the most athletic. I was a part of a, a soccer team. I was part of a basketball team. I was part of a baseball team. I played tennis. You know, I played sports. That's what I did. So in response to the question, who are you? I would have said I'm an athlete because that was my behavior at the time. Now, if you were to ask me when I was 20, hey, Chris, who are you? I would have told you as many of you would probably say, I am a student. I've got books. I study, or I try to study, or <laughs> some of you aren't students, even though you're in college, but that's what you do, right? Your idea, your identity is determined by your behavior or your desired behavior, right? I am a student. That's what I did. I studied. You know, if you were to ask, that's, if you were to ask me when I was 27, who are you, Chris? I probably would have said one of the first things that comes out of, out of my mouth would, would have been, I am single, Right? I am single. You know, I went out on dates, met different girls. I wasn't married. I wasn't in a committed relationship. Uh, I would have told you I was single. I would have also told you that I was an employee. No one reported to me. I reported to the man. You know, I was working for someone else. Now, if you were to ask me today what I did, I'd tell you I'm a husband. That's, that's what I do. You know, I would tell you that I'm still an employee. I would tell you, you know, all these different things that I do. I, I watch movies. I uh, try to be funny, whatever it is, right? That's what I do. And someday I may be a father. Someday I may be a great grandfather. Someday, great, or a grandfather. Someday I may own my own Chick fil A franchise. Someday I may be the boss when Andy Stan, when I take over Andy's president. Or I, someday I will be the champion of my own fantasy football league, whatever it might be. But if I were to ask most of you this question about your identity, who are you? Your response would probably be determined by your behavior. You'd probably start telling me what you did. I asked you who you are, and you would probably start telling me what you do because you believe that your identity is determined by your behavior. Some of us would answer the question, who are you this way? You'd answer it according to the way you look. If not your identity being determined by your behavior, it's your identity is determined by your appearance. Because some of you believe that your identity is determined by the way you look. You know, I'm a cowboy. I wear, I wear boots and a big hat. I'm a cowboy. I wear skinny jeans and lots of scarves. I'm a hipster. I wear a uniform, you know, or a camouflage fatigues. I'm a soldier, you know. I'm, I'm big. I'm, I'm small, 
You know, I'm, 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 I'm Asian. I'm, I'm, I'm short. I'm, oh, I'm overweight. I look funny. You know, I'm, I'm the guy with the, a big nose or crooked teeth or whatever. I remember uh, when I was in seventh grade, man, that was the first time I realized that I had really poor vision. I went to the optometrist and the optometrist said, you have to wear glasses. And I got my first pair of glasses. And man, my identity totally changed because my appearance totally changed. I started wearing glasses and I felt like a nerd. You know, <laughs> I am a nerd, but that's okay, right? Um, same thing, a couple months later, I had to get my first brace. I don't know why God sort of does that in your seventh and eighth grade years, the glasses, the braces, the acne, all of that stuff. Man, it's a tough time, Lord, why? But um, your, your identity is determined by your appearance for a lot of you. In fact, a couple years ago, Dove, uh, the soap Dove, um, not birds, but the soap Dove, put out a series of ads, you know, highlighting how people identified themselves. People determined their identity by their appearance, and the results were actually very surprising. I'm a forensic artist, worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011. I showed up to a place I'd never been, and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them. They couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. Tell me about your chin. It kind of protrudes a little bit, Hmm. especially when I smile. Your jaw? My mom told me I had a big jaw. What would be your most prominent feature? Kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. I would say I have a pretty big forehead. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave. I don't see them. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe. Today I'm going to ask you some questions about a person you met earlier, and I'm going to ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin, it was a nice, thin chin. She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke. Cute nose. She had blue eyes, very nice blue eyes. So here we are. This is the sketch that you helped me create. And that's a sketch that somebody described of you. So yeah, that's... She looks closed off and fatter, sadder too. Mm-hmm. The second one looks more open, friendly, and happy. Mm-hmm. I should be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices and the friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. It couldn't be more critical to your happiness. Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? Yeah. We spend a lot of time as women analyzing and trying to fix the things that aren't quite right. And we should spend more time appreciating the things that we do like.
a powerful video. Um, but what, the thing I took away from that is, uh, one, you know, beauty is sort of in the eye of the beholder there. Um, for good or for bad, for, you know, warped perception or correct perception or whatever it is. Um, but the challenge with identifying, uh, getting your identity based on your appearance is that things can change. Your view of yourself can change. Others' view of yourself can change. You will, you will eventually get wrinkles. You will eventually grow older, and your view of yourself will change, right? And here's the problem with determining your identity by uh, your behavior or your appearance or any of this stuff here. These are all labels. These are all labels. And you are so much more than just a label. You are so much more than a student. And even though I I value my wife and our our marriage, I'm so much more than just a husband. You are so much more than just an athlete or a dancer or, or whatever it is that you would say you are when I ask you, who are you? You are so much more than that. In a couple of days, a couple of months, years, and at some point in your life, your behavior will change. You may be a good guy now, but I know lots of good guys that turn into really bad guys. I know lots of great girls that turned into not so great girls. You know, things will change in your life. Your appearance will change. And at some point, things will get added onto your life, and you'll have a different label. And at some point, things will get stripped from our lives. As in when everything in your life gets stripped away and you have to face yourself in the mirror completely naked, who are you? Strip away the books, completely naked, and you're no longer a student. You know, strip away the basketball or the football, strip away that scholarship, and you're no longer an athlete. Strip away your instrument or your paintbrush, and you become something else. Who are you? That's awesome. Great. So here's where I think the Bible has some incredible things to say about your identity, about who we are. And as we dive into this, I do want to say this. Everyone in who's sitting in this room comes from a different place tonight. And I don't mean you come from inside the perimeter or outside the perimeter. I mean that we're all coming from different places in your relationship with God. Some of you have a great, deep, wonderful relationship with God. Some of you are just starting your relationship with God. Some of you may not feel like you have a relationship with God or you're just exploring. And if that's the case, I'm so glad that you you are here at the living room because this is a great place to learn, to grow, to ask questions, to, to see if you want to be in a relationship with God. Some of, us, some of you, you're here because you're exploring what it means to have a relationship with God. And the answer to who are you is, is going to be a little bit different. The answer to who are you, uh, let me say it this way. I'm not sure you'll ever be able to develop your own identity, to realize your complete identity until you actually take a step and enter into a relationship with God. If that's sort of where you are, you're just not sure yet, um, and I, I, this may sound negative, but I think it's the truth. It's like you're never gonna realize who you are until you actually take that step into a relationship with God. St. Augustine, an old, old, old church scholar from the second century said it best. He said it this way. God has made us for himself. God, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you until they can find rest in you. There will always be some, as we look for our identity, figure out who we are, 
until we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's always going to be something askew. Now, for, other, for the others uh, of you in this room who have a relationship with God, but you still have a hard time answering the question, who are you? The Bible has some very beautiful ways of answering that question. Who are you? For example, you are alive in Christ. That's one of the most beautiful things that the New Testament says. You are alive with Christ. You're no longer dead, but your spirit and your soul has come alive. You are God's work of art created in Christ. Imagine that. You are a masterpiece. As other translations say, you are a handiwork of God. That you are, there's nothing about you that's a mistake, but that God has formed you. That you are a beautiful, beautiful creation of God. You are a new creation in Christ. That all the, the muck and the yuck and all that stuff is gone now. That you are a new creation. And my, my favorite part, one of the, the best identities I feel like I can have is that you and I are fellow heirs, sons and daughters of God with Christ. That there is a heavenly father out there, creator of the universe, you know, God of all gods. And that you are a son or a daughter of his. Man, that is powerful. The Bible says some really incredible things. But when you look at the list of the ways that the Bible trains to an- tries to answer the question, who are you? You know what's the common thing in all of this? It's easy because I highlighted it. With Christ, in Christ, in Christ, with Christ. And the Bible is re- so full of all these statements. With Christ, in Christ, on Christ, with Christ, to Christ. When you try to answer that question, who you are, the common thing in the Bible always starts with Christ, that Christ is where we start, that Jesus is what our our identity is built upon, that Christ is our foundation. Your identity is not determined by your behavior. Your identity is not determined by your appearance. It's not by what you do. It's not by how you look. Your identity is determined by your foundation in Christ, with Christ, on Christ, to Christ. The Bible is full of that kind of stuff. Jesus illustrates this so clearly in a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. I'll just read it through. And it's a, some of you are very familiar with it. Uh, if you're not, it's, a, it, it's very, very simple. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Folks, you have two men, two houses, two different identities, one founded on rock, something that would last, that wouldn't shift around due to the storms of life, the other built on sand, a substance without much stability. 
Both of those houses buffeted by life's winds, pelted with rain, different things going on in their lives. One house built on a solid foundation remains standing. The other collapses. Sure, your behavior and your identity or your appearance may seem important to realizing your identity, but the most important thing will be actually securing your foundation. Securing your foundation. Let me show you a picture of uh, what some people consider an architectural beauty. Can anyone identify this picture? It is the Leaning Tower of Pizza. It is a hundred and... Pizza. Pizza, right? It is a... I tried so hard practicing that too. It is a 179-foot tower, but every year it drops, it moves, one-twentieth of an inch, one-twentieth of an inch. And it's been around for, for uh, uh, I think, 800-some-odd years or something like that. But every year it drops. And so architects, you know, engineers have tried to uh, restructure it a little bit. They've put some more. But the, re- the, rea- the reason why it moves around is because it's built on sand. It's built on marshy ground. And so every couple of years, engineers and architects will come in and they'll put in like million dollars worth of advancements into it to make sure it doesn't fall. And they're like, okay, this thing is gonna last for another 200 years. And then 10, 15 years down the road, they come back, put in another million dollars and stuff. And they're like, okay. At one point, they had to evacuate. They closed it down to the public. They evacuated all of the things, commercial activity around it because they thought it was too dangerous. To some people, it's an architectural beauty. To architects and engineers, they consider it an architectural nightmare. Why? Because it's built on sand and its foundation is only 10 feet deep. A 180 foot building whose foundation is only 10 feet deep. Looks beautiful on the outside, right? It has, this, it has a great identity, a beautiful thing, but it, it is a safety hazard. I'm gonna show you another picture. This is the world's tallest building in Dubai. It's the Burj Khalifa. It's the Burj Khalifa. It's just short of 3,000 feet tall. And it has a number of world records to it. Uh, highest, I think, swimming pool. Highest observation deck. Uh, highest, uh, um, what is it? The, uh, building with the most floors. It is the world's largest structure. Tallest structure. Standing at just under 3,000 feet. And it's not moving. It is not going anywhere. Do you know why? Because it has a foundation that digs down 180 feet deep. Consider, you take the actual leaning tower of Pisa and put it underneath that building, and that's the actual foundation for this building. A foundation built on rock, a foundation, a solid foundation. This is an architectural beauty, as most people consider it. And that thing is not going anywhere. Two houses, two buildings, one built on sand, one built on rock. And storms of life, things change, your behavior changes, your appearance changes. Which one is going to stand and which one is going to fall? Your identity is determined by your foundation. Folks, let me wrap up by sharing a little little story with you. Um, A couple years ago, when I first sort of got out of uh, graduate school and I was looking for my first pastor gig, pastor job, uh, I got a call from a church in uh, California, Palo Alto. And they said, hey, Chris, we'd love for you to come and interview to be our youth pastor. 
So I was like, yes, Palo Alto, lovely, I'll, I'll come. Uh, you know, and so they flew me out there, and I, again, I love flying, right? So I'm sitting there uh, in this little office, job interview, three of their church leaders in front of me, and I'm just nervous as heck, and they're asking me all these questions. Hey, Chris, how would you run a middle school program? Chris, how would you run a high school program? Do you love pizza? Do you love paintball? You know, how many t- different type of uh, youth p- programs would you have? You know, I'm trying to answer all their questions. And then finally, one elder sort of leans in close in his chair and says, Chris, let me tell you something. Our students are very busy, very, very busy kids. They're incredibly active with so many things in their lives. They're active with their families. They're active with their friends, their job, their school. You know, they're, they're active uh, with their studies. They've got sports. They've got extracurricular activities. They've got, um, they've got church. You know, they've got band. They've got SAT prep. They have pre-SAT prep. They have prep for their SAT prep. I mean, they've got all the, and, 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 and then they've got Jesus, and then they've got Chris. How would you get, uh, let's see, how would you get Jesus from number five or number six or number eight in their list to number one on their list? How would you get God to number one in their life? Because they've got so much going on. They've got so much that identifies them. And I sat there and I was like, oh man, that's a great question. I really want this job. How should I answer this? (laughs) And here's what I said. I don't think it's my job to get these kids to move Jesus from number five to number one. Or number, number seven to number one. Jesus to, Because to, no matter what you do, if Jesus is just another thing in your life, you know, as soon as you start shaking things around, everything comes crumbling down. I don't think it's my job to move Jesus from here to here. Instead, I'd want to get these kids to realize to, that they need to actually take Jesus out of the equation, out of all of these list of all these things together. And instead, help them realize that Jesus needs to be the foundation. So that when they're a student, their foundation, their identity in Christ informs the way they are a student. So that when they eventually take a job or become a husband or a mother, Jesus informs the way that they become a parent. So that Jesus informs the way that their life looks like in university, so that Jesus informs the way they understand church, so that Jesus informs the way they do all of these other things, regardless of what it may be. Because when you have a foundation as Jesus as, as Jesus as your foundation, then it doesn't matter how much these things change. This is going to be your identity. I told them, I, would help the, I want to help these kids place him underneath all of those other areas of life So they begin to understand how Jesus influences their appearance, their behavior, everything else. Because their identity is not determined by these, but by this. So the question is, who are you? That brings us to our question. Who are you? You uh, You can't answer that by looking at your appearance. You can't answer that by looking at your behavior. Because if you do, your behavior is gonna change. At some point in your life, um, your behavior will change, your appearance will change, all of your accolades, you're gonna accomplish lots of different things and you cannot build your identity on these things. 
You know, you will accomplish, I, this is, you guys look so amazing, so smart. You will accomplish much in your life. You know, some of you will accomplish and invent some incredible things. Some of you will accomplish becoming a great wife or a great husband, a great mother, a great student, you know. But then some of you will accomplish becoming, I, I know it's a reality, some of you will accomplish becoming great people who are addicted to different substances. Some of you will accomplish becoming people who get divorced not just once or twice, but some different things. But that stuff will not, I, that stuff will not, um, you don't want that to be your label. You know, this stuff in life is going to change. Your behavior, your accomplishments, all your accolades. Your identity has to be based on this because this is the thing that's not going to change. This your foundation in Christ, with Christ, helps you realize that you are a son and daughter of God. Regardless of what happens here, you can answer that question. Who are you? I am a loved, beloved son and daughter of God. Regardless of what this may be, regardless of what I may do, regardless of what I may look like, regardless of what I may accomplish, I am founded on this. And I hope you walk away tonight realizing that. That in Jesus, with Jesus, on Jesus, I hope that becomes your identity. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much that you are so good and so faithful and that you invite us into freedom, that you invite us into being sons and daughters of the living God. And I pray that we step into that. I pray that we don't um, build our identity on what we do or what we look like or even what we accomplish because we'll know we'll do a lot of things. We'll know we're going to look like a lot of things. We know we're going to accomplish lots of things, good and bad. But at the end of the day, we pray that our roots are founded in you, a strong foundation, a firm foundation, a cornerstone that will not move that will not move away from us, but that grounds us, that informs what we look like as a student, that informs what we look like as a son or a brother or a daughter, that informs what we look like as an employee or a boss, that informs what we look like today and tomorrow. So God, help us to find our identity in you. Who are you? God, that's a question we're gonna uh, you know, be wrestling with a lot in the next couple of years. At the end of the day, I pray that we may be able to say, we are a people who are founded in you. I am a child of God. And I pray that lands somewhere for everyone here today. In Jesus' name, we pray.